Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. Well, Aquaman 2 hit theaters this past weekend, which marked the official ending of the DC Extended Universe, a universe that was met with some positive reception, but mostly mixed and negative along the way from the general audience. Now, many people online have been debating where this universe went wrong. What was it? What single event led to the eventual decay of the DCU? In my opinion, it was not just one event or one movie but a case of death by a thousand cuts. However, as much as I would love to break down everywhere that they went wrong over the years, I think we would be here all day. I would just like to say that this was a universe with great potential. I think it reached high highs a handful of times and sadly also reached very low lows, but not at the fault of the talented filmmakers that they did hire. This universe had potential written all over it, not just because of the iconic characters that it featured, such as Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Cyborg, but also because of the sheer talent and imagination behind the camera. From directors like Zack Snyder, who had previously done Watchmen, 300, Dawn of the Dead, to a director like Patty Jenkins, who directed an Oscar-winning movie in Monster about 20 years ago now. Then you have James Wan, who is a box office machine. This man has crafted three major horror franchises with the Saw franchise, the Insidious franchise, and the Conjuring franchise. On top of that, he also directed the highest grossing Fast and Furious movie, which would be Fast and Furious 7. Factor in, they also brought in David Ayer when he was fresh off of directing End of Watch and Fury and had several other filmmakers tied to movies in their universe that eventually fell apart. Directors such as Steven Spielberg, Guillermo del Toro, Mel Gibson, Gavin O'Connor, and many more. Perhaps the biggest tragedy in this entire universe is all the talent they had behind the camera, and all the talent they had in front of the camera, with some iconic castings at that, and great costume work throughout the years, but all that being completely squandered by an incompetent and mismanaged studio in Warner Brothers. So while I have great love for many characters, directors, and movies in the DC Extended Universe, all I can do is look back and be disappointed of all the wasted potential, thanks to the greediness, the pride, and complete incompetence of those running Warner Brothers for the past decade. Now, enough about that for now. I think I'll come back to the DCEU. I do have a DCEU ranking that I put together, which I don't really love ranking movies, but some people have fun with that. So I might do that at the very end, depending on how long I talk about this movie. So yeah, I saw Aquaman 2 last night. And this is a movie that for months and months and maybe even years, I've heard nothing but bad things about because I'm going to be straight up. I liked the first Aquaman movie. I saw that movie in theaters, and not only did I see it in theaters, I saw it several times in theaters because it was just really cool to me. I thought visually it was astounding. I thought that Aquaman was a fun character. I thought the action was great. I loved the score of the movie, and James Wan is just such a good director that he can take a scene from being fun to being absolutely thrilling. So, 
I was a big fan of that movie at the time of its release. I remember watching it at home and being like, huh, this is not as good as I remembered. And it's just because that was a movie heavily carried by the theatrical experience. I actually have met so many people that didn't see that movie until home viewing. And they're like, why do people like this? This was terrible, which I don't agree that it's terrible, but I can understand not really getting why people loved it so much when it first released. And I'll just say, as far as blockbuster movies go, that's one of the most fun blockbusters I've seen on the big screen in the last decade. And I'd stand by that, especially in the comic book genre. It's one of the most fun comic book movies I've seen on the big screen. But I did love that movie. I had some minor gripes that I was hoping they would fix. And those minor gripes were pretty much just around the goofiness that they forced into the movie because they tried to make it funny at a few points and it just wasn't very funny. And I thought, okay, most people aren't laughing at this. And this is a complaint from a lot of people and that the movie has some kind of cringe humor where it's trying to be funny, but it's not very funny. And so I was hoping that they would see that and say, yeah, we should go away from that because that wasn't really landing with people in the first movie. But instead, they decided to double down on it. And here's the other thing that sucks is they made the first movie and then they had teased that the second movie would be a much darker chapter in the story. And then maybe a year later, Jason Momoa was saying how hilarious the movie was and described it as a buddy comedy. Months after that, I started to see the results of test screenings and they were not great, but somebody had pointed out, they said, you know what? The first movie also did not do too well at test screenings. It got very mixed results where the studio was just not sure how the audience would react and they were actually kind of surprised when it made a billion dollars. But that gave me some comfort, but I kept thinking about the buddy comedy aspect and I was thinking, man, the first movie was so unfunny. I just have a hard time believing they can make buddy comedy work in the second movie. I just couldn't really picture it. But I said, well, I don't know. I'll give the movie a chance. And then this movie got reshot and reshot and pushed back and I was hearing worse and worse things from test screenings until finally they dumped it at the very end of this year. And I don't think they dropped an official trailer for the movie until maybe a few months ago, which is never a great sign for a movie this size that has been supposedly done for as long as it's been done. But yeah, I had concerns about the movie. But despite my concerns about the movie, I thought the trailers had potential. I said, okay, there's some goofy stuff in these trailers that I don't love. And they keep putting the goofy stuff in the marketing. But I think, again... This is just a result of a studio that does not understand their audience, does not understand why people like the first movie. They liked the first movie because it was unapologetically heroic and campy. Even though it had goofy humor in it, it never was making fun of itself. You had characters that were like Ocean Master, for example. He has the corniest name, but he's serious as a heart attack, man, and his character is actually awesome. But there would be these heroic speeches and these villain monologues that you would think, oh, this is a little bit cheesy, but they're never winking at the camera or there's never anybody interrupting a conversation being like, wait, did this guy just say that? Just so the audience knows, yeah, that's a weird thing. We think so too. Instead, they just were fully committed to going over the top and telling this heroic action adventure epic. 
And so I love that. And yeah, the scale of the movie was just gigantic. It felt like a big event film by the end of it. The action was just breathtaking. And so it's a shame that they saw all that and ended up going with a lot of the stuff that just did not work from the first film for this one. So I'm getting distracted, but what I'm saying is that I saw in the trailer traces of the stuff that I loved in the first movie, and I thought, okay, this could be pretty cool. And you know what? The first one didn't test too well, so why do I care if this one did not test too well? I'm going to give it a shot anyway. And then there were some friends of mine who are big comic book fans, of course, and they were saying, if you like the first movie, you'll like the second movie. And some said, if you like the first movie, you'll like the second. It's clearly not as good as the first, but you'll still like the second movie. And so I said, okay, I'm in. I'm in. So this is one of those that despite seeing bad reviews or despite seeing some hate for the movie online for months or years leading up to it, like The Flash, I actually truly believed in my heart that it was a movie I would end up liking and having to defend a little bit online, which that was the case with The Flash. I never was too won over by the trailers, and there was a lot that I did not like about the movie leading up to its release. But I was thinking, you know what, man, it's probably going to be pretty good. And I don't remember what it was, but there were just enough things that I saw before it that I said, yeah, this is probably going to be a movie that wins me over. And I was dead wrong about that. I did not really enjoy The Flash. There are great moments, but I did not enjoy The Flash. But nonetheless, I went in expecting that it would win me over. Kind of like James Gunn's The Suicide Squad as well. That was another one that I said, you know what? I did not like Guardians 2 from James Gunn. It was very much a mixed bag. There's some great stuff in it. There's a lot that I just don't like, don't find funny. And the trailers to The Suicide Squad, were they bad? Yeah, they were really bad. Those were terrible trailers. But I said, ah, he might just not be that good at this whole trailer thing. So I'll excuse it. Because, you know, they send these clips to these movie trailer studios and they put the trailers together. And so who knows how much influence James Gunn even has on this trailer. That's just them sending off their best stuff and this studio made a bad trailer. So I was expecting to like it. It's because I had liked movies that James Gunn had written and I loved the first Guardians movie so much. And then I watched The Suicide Squad and was like, oh, that was not very good. And I was disappointed. I really thought it was going to be good. I was expecting it to win me over despite not being won over by the trailers. But I walked out of that one. I didn't think it was terrible, but I said, that's like a six out of 10 movie. And I was expecting at least an eight out of 10 movie. And I did not get that. I felt that the potential was there, but I was very disappointed with that movie. So then here you have Aquaman 2, where I would rank the first movie at like, in theaters, it felt like a 9 out of 10 to me, but home viewing, it's like a 7, 7.5 out of 10. And so I said, you know what, if this one in theaters is even as good as the first one at home, that's good enough for me. That's a fine send off to the universe, I suppose. You could do much worse. And instead, the movie opened and just immediately I was thrown off because I said, well, what the hell is this? Because the first movie opened with a voiceover from Arthur Curry, Aquaman, and it ended that way too. But the first one has Aquaman quoting Jules Verne and telling about how his parents met each other. And then you see what happens to his mother, why he grows up without a mother, and why he hates the people of Atlantis. You kind of find that stuff out as it goes along and why he's so reluctant to go and be their king and how he really is only doing it to protect the surface world before finally embracing his heritage 
and his calling as the king of Atlantis. So instead, this movie, Aquaman 2, just opens up with the goofiest voiceover from Arthur, and it's got this needle drop to go along with it, which I was also just not a fan of, because it's like they're just trying to make a funny, fun scene, and there are quite a few needle drops in this movie that just did not work. A lot of songs that just felt off for the scenes that they were thrown into. So yeah, right away, I was pretty thrown off, but I said, okay, I'll just keep watching. And then here we are, two minutes into the movie, Arthur, who has now a baby, his baby pisses in his mouth. And I thought, oh, okay, that's very juvenile humor. There is a pee joke in the first movie. It was the worst joke in the movie, probably. But I guess the pee joke in this movie is his baby pissed in his mouth. I said, okay, well, we got that out of the way. And then two minutes later, his baby pisses in his mouth again. Then 20 minutes later, a squid pisses in his mouth. Then 20 minutes after that, Orm, his brother, Ocean Master, eats a cockroach. Then an hour after that, Ocean Master eats another cockroach. And so I'm like, okay, what am I watching here? Am I watching Aquaman or am I watching Fear Factor? We're going from pissing in mouths to having squids piss in mouths to eating cockroaches. I mean, come on, dude. Try to watch a movie here. But yeah, right away I said, okay, so they are fully committed to this being a fun, goofy movie, just a total romp of a film. And that was kind of tough because right away I said, that's not really what I was hoping for, but whatever, I'll try to judge it fairly. You know what? If it ends up being funny, I'll give it a pass. Like Thor Ragnarok took the Thor franchise in a very goofy, comedic direction. And maybe this was trying to do that a little bit. But the problem is Jason Momoa is just not that funny to me. And Chris Hemsworth is actually quite funny. And I'll also say that that whole bit of Thor kind of got old. For some people, it didn't get old until Love and Thunder. But for others, if you rewatch Ragnarok enough, you're like, man, why is this guy so freaking stupid in this movie? Is it funny? Yeah, but why is he so stupid? He's never been this stupid before. But anyway, I tried to judge the movie for how it was. So the thing I was most excited about for this movie was that in the first film, they had Black Manta, who is a very cool character. He is one of Aquaman's arch enemies. And I thought they did him justice in the first film, and they got a good actor for him. They got Yahya Abdul-Mateen, who I'm a huge fan of, even though I don't think his performance is that great in the first movie until he's in the costume. But when he's out of the costume, I think a lot of his line reads feel kind of forced where he's trying really hard to sound tough and angry, but it just didn't come across that well for me. And so I was there believing that he was not that great of an actor. And then I saw him in a ton of other things over the years where I said, oh, no, he's actually a phenomenal actor. I just clearly didn't vibe with at least half of his performance in Aquaman. But I did like how his character looked. I thought they made him cool. And they pretty much set up for this movie to be a big revenge movie for Black Manta. That it was going to be a Black Manta versus Aquaman showdown, more or less, is kind of what they set the stage for. And so this movie opens with Black Manta and then Dr. Shin, who is played by Randall Park. And I'll also say he was one of the worst parts of the first movie. He was terrible in the first movie. Maybe not even him being terrible, but this is something that drives me insane because in Zack Snyder's movies, he used the news to help further the plot at times. And typically, whether the reporters on the TV were real life reporters like Anderson Cooper or Nancy Grace, or whether they were just people that they hired for the movie, it always felt like a real news segment covering a real thing. 
But in Aquaman, it was just so silly. And it was like then Shazam also. And then in Justice League in 2017, where I thought, when have you ever turned on the news and seen or heard anything like this? And I don't mean the superhero stuff, but I mean how they're covering stuff. But like Dr. Shin in the first movie is on every news channel talking about Atlantis and all of his co-hosts are like, there you go again with your insane Atlantis theory. This guy's crazy. He got fired. And it's just really on the nose dialogue. That's just also something you wouldn't really hear watching the local news. Like local anchors are not going to bring a crazy guy on to rant about Atlantis, first of all. But secondly, if they did, they aren't just going to be like, this guy, you're crazy. Why do you believe in Atlantis? Weren't you fired? And, you know, just stuff like that. I don't know. It's silly. It's like in Shazam and then Justice League as well. They have people on the TV just dropping a million F-bombs and being bleeped out a ton. But it's like, yeah, when have you ever seen that? Turn on the local news. When have you ever seen somebody dropping a million F-bombs and being bleeped out on the local news in just some random eyewitness interview? It pretty much never happens. Not even in Florida. So yeah, his character was just way too much for me in the first movie. But he's in this movie and he is with Black Manta. And his whole thing is he wants to find Atlantis. He wants to find Atlantean tech, proof of his Atlantean theory. And Black Manta wants to find kind of the same stuff so that he can repair his Black Manta suit and fight Arthur himself and get revenge. But during their exploits, they end up coming across the Lost Kingdom of Atlantis, which is where Black Manta finds the Black Trident. The Black Trident, which contains this ancient power, but not just that. When he picks up the Black Trident, it kind of gets into his head because the king who originally owned that trident, his spirit or mind or whatever is trapped into his trident. And so his mind and Black Manta's mind become linked. And Black Manta is kind of doing this guy's bidding, but he's also got some of this guy's power to go with it. So he is strong enough to match up with Aquaman and he knows where certain things are now. And it's kind of a mutual relationship where he's going to be able to get revenge on Arthur. And he's also going to be able to free this dead king and his people who were frozen by King Atlan many, many years ago because they were causing global warming. <laughs> Actually, I'm not even getting that's legit what it is. They're like, you guys, you're causing global warming, all these greenhouse gases. So they freeze them. And then years later, they're like, what's Black Manta doing? They're like, he's just causing a ton of global warming. <laughs> I swear the dialogue is like that on the nose too. They're like, he's releasing greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. It's causing severe climate change and it's so, like, yeah, that is a bad thing for sure. But I don't know. It was just really on the nose dialogue. I thought it was kind of funny. But yeah, because Manta is now so powerful and because of some political stuff going on in Atlantis, Arthur feels that his only chance at stopping Black Manta is if he breaks his brother, Orm, half-brother. But if he breaks his half-brother, Orm, out of prison, that Orm will help him because... Really, what Black Manta's doing is going to bring about the end of Atlantis and probably the end of the surface world, but for sure is going to be the end of Atlantis. And so he knows that Orm would not want that to happen. Despite the fact he was the big villain of the first movie, he was a villain in that he wanted the throne and he wanted to be the sole king of Atlantis because Atlantis is split into several different kingdoms. But he wanted to be the ruler of every kingdom and then to launch an assault on the surface world. Which, yeah, typical bad guy stuff, I suppose. 
But this leads to Arthur breaking Orm out of prison, and that's when the buddy comedy stuff ensues. And at times, it almost works because Orm is at least completely serious. Orm, who's played by Patrick Wilson, as he was in the first movie as well, and he's been in quite a few James Wan movies. He was in all of his Conjuring movies and all of his Insidious movies, and I think is a great actor. I really like Patrick Wilson. And I love him as Ocean Master, and I think that he's enjoyable in this movie because he's kind of the one serious guy in the film consistently. But watching him and Arthur work together is kind of fun, seeing them work out their differences and things like that. And you do start to empathize with Orm a little bit, where you start to understand why he is the way he is. And so some of that stuff is done decently. But a lot of the stuff along the way is just so messy. I just don't really know how to put it. This is such a simple idea for a plot. Because if I were to put this on paper, if I was pitching it to the studio myself, I'd say, okay, so you got Black Manta, right? He wants revenge. He's going to come across the Black Trident because he discovers the Lost Kingdom. Black Trident's going to get into his head, but it'll also give him the power to potentially take down Aquaman. Along with that, though, if he can draw the blood of Aquaman or his kin, which he does have a baby in this movie, it's kind of a win-win because, yes, he can kill Aquaman or kill Aquaman's kid or also Orm, I guess, is the other guy he could kill. It just has to be a descendant of King Atlan. But if he gets the blood of one of them, then he can also resurrect the king of this lost kingdom and his whole army of people. So if I were to say, yeah, Arthur's got bigger responsibilities, he's got a family in this movie, he's got a baby, Black Manta is coming after him and his bloodline so that, yes, he can get revenge on Arthur, but also so this kingdom can be resurrected, basically. And so Arthur entrusts the help of his enemy from the first movie, his half-brother Orm. I'd say, yep, that sounds like a pretty cool movie. There's a lot of potential there. But sadly, many movies have potential written on their gravestones, and I would say this is one of those. So some stuff works, a lot of stuff doesn't. They go to all these places. I think it tries too hard to be goofy. It tries too hard to be funny. I think they felt that Orm was so serious that Aquaman had to be more goofy. And the thing is, he was funny in the first movie when he was just being a rugged bro because, yeah, he didn't really fit in with the Atlantean customs. He was a little foul-mouthed and all that. So he didn't quite fit in to the royal culture of Atlantis. But it's the jokes where he's kind of just being dumb that are annoying because it just feels out of character. And one thing that I'll give props to for the first movie is that there's a lot of heart in that film because you see at the beginning, his parents meet. And then you see when his mom leaves and you see the effect that it has on his father. You see the effect that it has on him. You see him all grown up and you kind of understand why he is the way he is. And that whole thing with his mother ends up being a big, big part of the third act of this film. And I won't even lie. I teared up when I saw that movie in theaters. I teared up at a few scenes because even though there was a lot of cheese, even though there was some bad acting at points, which yeah, young Aquaman in that movie, there's like a teenage version of him is so freaking bad. He's the worst actor I've ever seen in a movie this scale. But the heart was there. The emotion was there. But with this movie, one that I feel the emotion should have been there, I never really felt it until maybe the very, very end of the movie. There was one moment between Arthur and Orm where I said, yeah, that worked for me, and I wish there was a bit more of this. 
but it just seemed at too many points that this movie was afraid of taking itself too seriously or being too sincere. And the first movie never felt scared to me of anything, but this one felt scared. This one reeked of studio notes and reshoots and test screenings and all that nasty business that can really derail a movie made by a true auteur filmmaker, which had probably put James Wan in that camp. So, yeah, I don't know, man. And this is a big problem with the DC universe is just that the executives have been cowards all along. That was, I think, the ultimate reason for the downfall. I talked about the pride of them. I talked about their greed. But I'd also say just them being absolute cowards from regime change to regime change, being afraid to make a misstep, and therefore they were always afraid to go too big. Aquaman was fortunate enough to be sandwiched between two regimes where even though there was some stuff from both regimes that put a little stink on it, James Wan largely got to make his own movie with that one. And I feel like with this one, it underwent several regime changes and several release date pushes and reshoots. And so in the end, even though it still feels a lot like the first movie at a lot of points, at least in how it shot, There was just an element of heart that was missing that I felt in the first movie and didn't really feel in this movie. And that's one thing with me, man. I can forgive a lot of problems a movie might have if I connect to it on an emotional level. If a movie can make me tear up at some point, I don't have to cry, but I'm saying like if I can get that emotionally invested in a movie, then I will forgive a majority of its problems because I say, you know what? Something they did here really worked. And I'd say that's something that they had in the first movie that worked for me was just not present in this movie. It just lacked the heart of the first one. And I think a big problem was that it just didn't feel as sincere and it felt a little bit afraid. Despite them taking some bold creative risks, I suppose, in this movie. But even then, I think they could have gone a little bit riskier. So part of me wonders if they really did want to make this a darker second chapter originally and then pivoted to the buddy comedy. I know Jason Momoa had kind of said that that was what he wanted was a buddy comedy. And if that is the reason they went that route, then I'm sorry. I think that's a massive mistake. I think if you made this a darker chapter, but had the relationship between the two brothers be the central emotional thing in this movie, I think it would have worked out really well. I think it could have been an amazing movie, actually. So, yeah, some things that I'll shout out. Look, the visual effects in the first movie were, I think, really good. I can't quite say the same in this one. I mean, it's good at a lot of points. Good looking, I should say. But there are also some hideous, hideous shots. Like, the VFX is rendered pretty well. But there are so many shots that are just way too busy, way too cluttered, where I'm just looking at the screen going, what does it want me to look at here? Because there are just fish all over the place and all these bright lights and colors just all over. But there were some impressive visuals. I just think the first one looked cleaner visually. I would give the first one the nod for cinematography. As far as the score goes, I don't think this one had as many emotional moments for the score to be as impactful. But that being said, the theme that they use for Aquaman, I like his main theme. The Black Manta theme is freaking dope, dude. And I think there was probably more of it in this movie because there's a lot more Black Manta in this movie. And then I like Orm's theme too. So 
yeah, Rupert Gregson Williams did the score of the first movie and also the second movie. And I thought his score for the first one was really good. I think his score for this one's really good too. I just wasn't as emotionally invested. So some moments where maybe it should have hit harder, it just didn't. As far as acting performances go, Patrick Wilson, I probably enjoyed the most in this movie. He was the character I actually liked. Otherwise, Nicole Kidman is in it very briefly. I feel like she kind of phones it in. Amber Heard is not in the movie quite enough for my liking, but she is good in her screen time. Yayo Dolmatine, I think, is actually very good. I honestly also think there could have been more of him, though, or at least more of him doing evil stuff because he's kind of just going around doing stuff and he's around the same crew the whole time. And I'd say he's this scary, intimidating villain, but he's not really killing a ton of people throughout the movie. And, and look, okay, he doesn't have to just be on a killing rampage, but I don't know. I didn't feel that he was that much more evil than the first movie, even though he's got this evil king inside of his head the whole time. So he's intimidating because he's Black Manta, I suppose, but eh, that's about it. Dolph Lundgren is still in this movie like he was in the first, and eh, I don't know, man. He's fine, I guess. It's cool to see Dolph Lundgren in a movie, and I'll just leave it at that. You also have at list Willem Dafoe in the cast of this movie, and yeah, he's actually not in the movie. He dies off screen. They just randomly say, they're like, yeah, your mentor, he died of the same illness because the global warming illness is killing everybody, I guess, which they don't really harp on enough. They kind of just throw it out there of like, yeah, these people are getting sick and dying. Even your mentor got sick and died. And thinking, hey, this guy was a really big character in the first movie, and you just kill him off screen for this one? He probably read the script and said, I don't want to do it. But that kind of surprises me because most people wouldn't turn down the bag like that. And if you were willing to do Spider-Man No Way Home, perhaps I've said too much. <laughs> so uh, yeah, lastly, I'll talk about Jason Momoa as Aquaman. I already mentioned that he kind of got on my nerves in this movie. I want to like him because I liked him in the first movie enough. I like him probably the most in Zack Snyder's Justice League. I think he's funny in that movie without ever being goofy. First movie, yes, he's goofy at a few points, but it's almost like a compromise. I would say that the Aquaman you get in the 2017 Justice League is pretty much what you get in Aquaman 2. And then the one you get in the first Aquaman is kind of the balance between the goofy Aquaman you see in Justice League and Aquaman 2. And then the more serious loner Aquaman you get in Zack Snyder's Justice League. And like I said, I think he's funny in the Snyder Cut, just in a different way, kind of in a rugged, dry humor type of way. But this one feels very much the opposite of that. He's just very goofy, always cracking jokes, most of them not funny. But it's unfortunate that you make an Aquaman movie, and I didn't really care for Aquaman for a lot of it. But that's just how it goes, I guess. So yeah, I was disappointed with this movie. I feel like there were some other things I was going to bitch about, but that will probably wrap it up from that standpoint. I'll say that, yes, this is technically the end of the DCU, but it ended a long time ago for me personally. Even when the Snyder Cut came out, I kind of knew that was the end of the road for the story arcs I actually cared about because they had already pushed Ben Affleck out of the role of Batman the writing was on the wall that they did not want Henry Cavill in their universe as Superman, which why the hell not? And this is why I said, they're cowards, man. They were afraid to make a Batman movie in that universe because they couldn't without Ben Affleck and Ben Affleck had been forced out. They were afraid to make a Superman movie in that universe 
because Batman v Superman was a bit divisive and people debated about Henry Cavill and supposedly some of the executives did not like Henry Cavill, but the general audience actually loved him. And then they were afraid to make another Wonder Woman movie after Wonder Woman 1984 was not very good. So really, their cowardice was a big problem. They were afraid to make those movies. They were afraid to make a big team-up movie. They were so afraid to make a misstep that everybody in the general audience, I think, just lost collective interest because it's like, well, these movies are all technically connected, but they aren't as interconnected as the MCU, and that's what we like. And if these solo movies were good enough where they were all great on their own, then maybe people would have been more invested. But instead, it was like that Fox Marvel run in the 2000s where they were just making a bunch of one-off movies like Daredevil, Elektra, Punisher, Fantastic Four, Ghost Rider, where it's like, yeah, some of these are all right. <laughs> Most of them aren't. But I think these were higher quality than those. But at the same time, People want connected universes. That's why they were building one in the first place. They just got scared. They got bad reviews for one movie, one movie that made them a lot of money, mind you. They got bad reviews for one movie, and they tried to course correct everything without ever committing to a solid plan B, without ever following through on a solid plan B. They just thought, we'll just tweak a little bit here and there, kind of do what Marvel's doing with their movies in the tone and style, but make these all solo-oriented until maybe we win the goodwill of the general audience. Stupid. Dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. But yeah, back to Aquaman. I'll just wrap up my thoughts and say I didn't really love it. I was not a huge fan. I think there were some great ideas. I think there were a few moments that were kind of cool. There's a few action scenes that are very brief, but one in the third act between Aquaman and Black Manta... It's a trident fight between the two. It's actually pretty sweet. It's just not the longest fight, but it's a cool fight scene nonetheless. And otherwise, most positive feelings I have towards the movie are just that, hey, I enjoyed Patrick Wilson as Orm in this movie. And there is a moment towards the end between the two of them where they kind of see eye to eye. And I think there's a nice moment, at least. So there's a little bit that works too much overall that does not work for me. This feels like a movie that went through several rounds of reshoots, several studio notes, and several regime changes over the years, and that's just a true shame. I mentioned that I was going to do my DCEU rankings, but look, I don't really feel like it right now, man. I don't really feel like it. I think this episode has gone long enough where we can go without that. For now, I'll just say, rest in peace, DCEU. I might do a ranking down the road for an episode. But for now, I'll just say that's going to be a wrap for today. So thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you were able to find some enjoyment in this episode. And if so, or even if not, please give this podcast a follow on whatever you are streaming on right now. And also give me a follow on Instagram. You can find me under the username at vitamin C pod. There you can find updates both on this podcast and on movies in general. Again, I appreciate you guys tuning in. You will hear from me next week.